everyone, I am Harini Srinivasan, a behavioral science expert and a partner at the Semco Style Institute, India. A little about the history of the Semco Style Institute. This institute was founded by Ricardo Semler and is headquartered in the Netherlands. We help companies improve business performance by unlocking human potential. Our practices are derived from the lessons learned at Semco, a company Ricardo inherited from his father. He has chronicled his experiments in his best-selling books, The Maverick and The Seven-Day Weekend. Hi folks, this is Ramesh Dariraj. Welcome to the Semco Style Institute Shape the Future of Work podcast. I am also a partner at Semco Style Institute, a best-selling author, coach and mentor for CEOs and sales leaders. We want to have conversations with the smartest people who can help us understand the best way to manage companies in this new era that is unfolding right before our eyes. Our guest today is KV Ramakrishna or Ramki as he's fondly known. He is the senior advisor and the former CEO of Kotak Private Equity. Ramki has about more than 27 years of experience in venture capital and private equity. Prior to joining Kotak Mahindra, Ramki has stints with Carlisle Asia Venture Partners, the Carlisle Group's technology focused fund and ICICA Venture, the PE and VC arm of ICICA Group. Uh, he's worked uh, for two years just after his graduation at the management services of uh, division of Tata Motors, which is now the largest uh, automobile company in India. What we're going to talk about uh, with Ramki is how he goes about selecting, evaluating investing companies and what does he look for when we talk about this elusive concept of culture and we want to explore that aspect with him. Welcome to the show, Ramki. Thank you, Ramesh. It's a honor to be part of this uh, podcast. Once again, welcome to the podcast, Ramki. You have evaluated many companies as an investor. Uh, what do you look for in, in these organizations from your perspective? And what makes you think of them as having the potential to make it? So when we uh, look at an investment, Harini, I think there are multiple things. Uh, one is, I would say, the whole, uh, uh, the quantitative aspects of uh, the financials, uh, the market sizing, the growth aspects, uh, the valuation. That's one part to it. I'm actually not going to stress uh, much on that uh, for the current uh, discussion. The second part, which is the entire, the qualitative aspect is probably more relevant for you and the current discussion. And uh, very early in my life, Harini, I mean, somebody actually mentioned this to me. It's not the paper which is presented to you. It's a person who is behind the paper, which is most important. I think that's been a very, very big lesson for me. No matter what uh, you actually read in terms of the presentations that are put to you or uh, whatever you do, I think the most important thing uh, would be the person who is actually going to drive this. I think that's where uh, a lot of emphasis, at least for senior managers like us, is. I mean, obviously, our uh, junior colleagues do help us with most of the quality, quantitative aspects of it. So when we look at that uh, person... Uh, I think uh, two or three things, uh, it's, I would say at some level, Harini, it's more an art than science. I guess uh, over the years, having actually met with multiple people, seen ups and downs and in investments, businesses, uh, you, you kind of pick up some of the traits in terms of analyzing uh, a person. 
So uh, it's slightly digressing. One of the reasons why most of the larger investments are also not happening during the current COVID times is because it's tough to actually get those vibes when you actually do it on the video instead of meeting the person. So I think uh, that's extremely important to meet the person. And uh, what we look at is many things, uh, but I think at a, at a fundamental level, uh, alignment of interest is extremely important. And uh, we need to look at uh, as an entrepreneur, does he actually have a pulse of uh, the product and the solution? We have seen some of these entrepreneurs uh, who have inbuilt understanding of the market and the product. I mean, how good is he at this, number one? And number two, the entire uh, the organizational part of it, uh, how is he in dealing with the people? How does he treat you in those meetings, so on and so forth? I think these are two elements when are, uh, of course, when we actually uh, go further down on this conversation, we'll talk about what we look at. From a cultural perspective or from a leadership perspective, what do you really look for, which is different from the traditional run-of-the-mill command and control structures that, you know, we're all used to? So I think uh, what at least I focus on uh, when we look at uh, the leader is uh, his whole willingness to build an organization. When I say build an organization, I'm talking about not uh, both the breadth and depth of management. I think these both are equally important, the breadth and depth of management. Traditional businesses, uh, I think they hesitate to bring in outsiders of professionals as we call at a very very senior level and uh, you you actually like you know tend to see most of the family members uh, leading the senior roles or the important roles uh, i think that is a big negative for us and uh, the second important thing is uh, bring in a professional but uh, how much am i empowering him so one of the one of the big uh, things I've noticed is uh, in many, many places when people are not used to actually working with external professionals, it actually takes a lot of effort from our side to enable the whole process. Otherwise, the guy will come in. I mean, there's a whole, uh, within a short span of time, there's a whole dissonance. And uh, invariably, like, you know, when we hire at a CXO level, what we tend to do for smaller companies is you want to bring in senior people from very large organizations, multinationals, so on and so forth, for whom this would be more an entrepreneurial kind of opportunity. So you bring in such a person and then you tell him like, you know, you run this business and immediately you have somebody breathing down your neck that doesn't work. So this guy will probably like, you know, not even last six months in that uh, thing. So I think there is a lot of tutoring that has to go if we are dealing with such a promoter who has not experienced dealing with professionals in the past. The second thing is uh, when you actually bring in uh, uh, external professionals, I think you also kind of need to bit of tutor him also. It's very different from a very large organization. I mean, you go to an MNC, I mean, first day I get my visiting arts, I get my stationery, I get my assistant. It doesn't work that way in smaller companies. And you got to tell him, listen, I mean, that's partly entrepreneurial in nature. So it's about matching expectations. Probably that's the right phrase I would use. Matching expectations on both sides. That's extremely important. Number one. Number two, for a period of probably like, you know, two to three quarters, at least I personally tend to enable 
a lot of this acclimatization, if I could use the word, for this person in the new organization, because it is extremely important to build trust. At one level, from a promoter standpoint, he should not think that one, he is the investor's person who is being put there to police. At the same time, for the new, for the professional who is coming into the organization, uh, I think he needs to understand that uh, larger organizations have different kind of facilities, different kind of things. And when you come to a smaller organizations, both the decision making, etc., is slightly different. The facilities are different. The resources are different. He got to understand and accept it. Once you go past this two to three quarters, once the trust is built between them, then you're off the thing. You don't have to worry about it. Then I think this will go for a long, long relationship. Uh, Ramki, you covered the uh, relationship between the investor as well as the uh, as well as the CEO and the promoters and the leaders who you bring in. And we touched a little bit on the aspect of that person uh, becoming more and more uh, culturally aware of how he works uh, and how he adjusts from, say, a large company to a smallish company. Steering this discussion forward, I want to ask you about what has changed in the last 25 years that you've been when it comes to saying, okay, hey, this leader is viable. This leader will have a greater chance of succeeding. What would you look for vis-a-vis, you know, 25 years ago when these, uh, you know, general machismo kind of leaders were the ones who were being worshipped at the altar of commercial success? Honestly, Ramesh, I don't think the fundamentals have changed in business in terms of evaluating uh, the person because those are really, I would say, uh, absolute in that sense, right? What has changed though is in terms of uh, the availability of talent pool, which probably was not there as much. We didn't have such a bench of a talent 25 years ago. And probably like, you know, thanks to what we have seen in uh, sectors like uh, technology, pharma, you see a lot of this uh, multinationals coming in and then uh, you have a new breed of professionals uh, available. And the second thing is uh, definitely there is a lot more openness uh, from promoters uh, in terms of hiring talent. Uh, I think that is something which uh, we have seen unlike in the past. Probably also because of the fact that the numbers are different earlier. Most of these companies were small and the resources are limited. Now, actually talking about how do we kind of look at the whole decision-making process, uh, if I may, is uh, I spoke very briefly in terms of how do you bring in a person and how do you ensure that the person actually uh, stays in the organization and helps in the organization building. But how do we kind of test this uh, when we actually look at an investment thing? So so what I do, and then probably most of the investors also do this as as part of our initial business diligence, uh, we actually ensure that we meet each of the business leaders individually and also as a team. So first we do the team meeting. And when you actually do the team meeting, you talk about the whole business, the vision of the promoter, how he wants to kind of achieve this particular vision. This is an extremely important thing, Ramesh, for me, because it throws up a lot. This is exactly where you see how is he empowering his team? 
I mean, is it one person talking or is it, does he let actually his people also talk? Number one. Number two, I mean, will he also like, you know, quote unquote, let them talk about future, let them talk about some important decisions the organization says is actually going to take. You know, invariably in many times I see this thing, uh, the person, the manager is actually talking to us and then he looks to the left to the promoters to get his not to actually proceed, which is not, which is not a very happy thing to actually notice. I think uh, what is important is uh, to see, is he really like, you know, letting his people enough elbow room to actually take decisions. There are certain cases uh, where uh, I have personally noticed uh, even a junior person can actually stand up and say, listen, sir, what you are saying is wrong. He can actually talk to his promoter saying, sir, sir, probably you misquoting it or you probably got it wrong. And how does a promoter react to this? I think this is something which is uh, extremely important from an organizational standpoint in terms of the culture he is building and so on and so forth. Uh, Ramki, a lot of talk about culture comes up uh, during any investment talk. How do you gauge culture? What is it that you look for? This is a really a tough question, Ramesh, and I don't think there's one right answer. But I'll probably split it into two parts. Uh, one is when one is looking at an investment and uh, the other one being an M&A con- context. Uh, so when we look at an investment, uh, there are a lot of these nuances which we focus on when we go for this meetings. Uh, uh, small, small, small things like when you actually get into a meeting room, uh, how is the seating arranged? Uh, are they very control oriented in terms of, uh, does the promoter insist on sitting as a head of the table? How does he actually treat the rest of them? How does he treat his visitors? I think uh, these are very, very small things come to think of it, but extremely important in terms of understanding the culture of the organization. I mean, I've noticed this in uh, many companies, uh, uh, the way a promoter kind of like, you know, treats his uh, employees, you can easily gauge in that one hour meeting, the way you s- he sits, the way he calls people, even small things like in India, you know, uh, we, we have people serving tea and coffee, the way he calls people, the way he actually like, you know, ask them to remove the cups. Uh, I think these are very, very small things which we tend to make note of. And the second thing is during the meeting, during the meeting, does he actually cut his employees? I think that's a big, big negative in one sense, because uh, uh, sooner than later, you would be actually sitting on the other side of the table as an investor, and uh, you don't want a, a person to cut you. You want a person to be accommodative. You want a person to actually listen and then gauge. I think uh, this is something uh, what we tend to see. And even trying to extend on that uh, very, very small things like how does he actually like, you know, have uh, food served to his rest of his people versus him? Do they have two canteens or do they have one canteen? Do they serve the same food to his uh, white collared uh, workers and the blue collared workers? I think these are certain things which are uh, extremely important to understand and focus. 
I'm not saying that it's always necessary to serve the same food, uh, but it also tells about the organization. Maybe certain organization you need to have this, but this is an understanding you got to do. As it looks very uh, funny, but one of the things I personally focus is when you go to this uh, factories. Uh, Uh, you go to the washroom and see how are these washrooms maintained i mean uh, do they actually i mean these don't require much cash or much resources it's all the attitude to employees do they actually like you know do it up do they actually maintain it cleanly or do they have a separate kind of washroom for directors and uh, employees i think these are very very small nuances which we focus on when we take this uh, when we try to gauge the culture of the company and obviously like you know we have to wait along with the rest of the points to take the call the second point which is very very important uh, or which is very different is when one is looking at m&a i think that uh, culture becomes extremely crucial from an m&a perspective because you are now trying to bring in two organizations which two different cultures very different cultures or different cultures and such a circumstances i think uh, a lot of emphasis is given to understand can these people actually work together at a later point of time okay i'll give you an example when you are actually looking at an american company and then uh, on one side and a japanese company on the other side for example the cultural the culture is very very different the way they look at it i mean you can have an american actually putting his leg up the table which is a complete no no for a japanese in that sense uh, so i think that is something which is important to understand can they cope with this post merger and uh, that is what i think we emphasize on an m&a activity so speaking of culture uh, ramki i have a question you've been around for a long time and you must have definitely noticed a lot of changes in behaviors so coming to behaviors shown by promoters and founders what are the changes that you have actually observed over a period of time and why do you think those changes are actually seen so this is uh, can be little uh, controversial harini but i'll tell you i'll i would rather speak my mind so 25 years ago when uh, we started investing venture capital i think the the quantums were very small people uh, didn't know what this is i still remember we used to spend hours talking about venture capital and uh, why they should take our money and still the guy would at the end of the meeting ask me what is the interest rate so that was a knowledge those days about the whole uh, private equity or a venture capital you cut to today you go to the first meeting i mean even before you talk about the company and the prospect the guy will be talking about valuations he'll be talking about rights and so on and so forth because i think that's a complete change in terms of the landscape in terms of the whole knowledge but that's at a very very macro level but to be more specific and trying to answer what you were asking uh, i think uh, 25 years ago the sums were smaller and uh, personally what i noticed was there was a lot of commitment or uh, uh, i mean if i could use the word indebtedness of the promoters they saying that listen i am taking your money so there was a bit of a, the moral and fiduciary responsibility demonstrated at every instance and uh, 25 years ago i have seen companies which have failed but the promoter used to make every attempt to try and repay even in small quantums over a period of time many of them i am not uh, generalizing but yes a majority of them 
I don't see that today. Today, I think most of the people probably are seeing this as free money, unfortunately. And I think that's something which is not very good. Still, if you see a lot of this mature promoters, that's not the case. But I guess most of the youngsters have seen the money coming in very easy, which is probably not the best of the things. I personally look for uh, companies where uh, promoters will see this. Uh, every rupee is important for them. And they actually like, you know, treat every rupee with respect and every investor with respect. I don't want to be seen in the company of a company who thinks they're doing great favor by taking this money, which unfortunately is the case in uh, many situations. So I think uh, uh, from a larger perspective in the last 20, 25 years, uh, of course, uh, there is a greater knowledge and uh, there are greater resources. There are a lot many funds now available. And I guess that probably actually made it look like quote unquote easy money for several of them. I'm not saying all of them, but several of them. And I think that has also brought in an element of greed. So it's extremely important for promoters to align interest and ensure that everybody benefits rather than looking at this investment as cheaper money or free money. Uh, you mentioned greed, uh, Ramki. So do you think the investment climate of the 90s, you know, the time when Gordon Gecko with his greed is good in, in the movie that's uh, Wall Street movie, does, has that come back? And has that come back with a vengeance? Partly, yes, Ramesh. Uh, I'm, I think I need to actually correct myself. I, I agree with you. Greed is not bad at all. But I think I have to see it from the context, right? First and foremost, uh, if you look at private equity or any venture capital, it's an equity investment. And um, one of the big decisions the promoter has to take is in terms of the whole dilution, right? And uh, my advice to a lot of these promoters always has been, you've got to see growth versus dilution as a parameter rather than looking at dilution in isolation. I've seen many cases where uh, people, just because of the greed and their expectations, they let the window actually shut on them. And once the window shuts, it becomes very, very difficult. So I think it is important to understand that, uh, yes, it is good to have the greed, but uh, what is more important is to actually like, you know, look at the opportunity and driving for that growth. That is something a lot of people kind of miss. Now come to like, you know, what has the change that has happened over a period of time? Uh, yes, again, uh, because the numbers are larger now, the greed is also kind of uh, definitely increased a lot. But what I always recommend uh, to promoters is that it's all about alignment of interest. I think it is good to have the greed, but uh, probably like, you know, you've got to structure it in a manner to say that, listen, I'm going to actually build this. If I build this, I'll take more. If I don't build this as much as I expected, probably I'll take a lot lesser. So once you have an alignment of interest and you structure the whole transaction in a manner, then there is nothing wrong to be greedy. 
So you look at uh, some of the large, uh, successful entrepreneurs. Mr. Uh, Dhirubhai Ambani probably is uh, one of the most successful uh, entrepreneurs, and I think uh, he probably got it right by saying that as long as I ensure that my investors make money, I'll keep getting money. So tomorrow, if I go and stand in the street and say that, listen, I want money, people will come back to me because I ensured that they made money in the past. I think that is something which people need to understand. You have your greed, but you got to ensure that everybody makes money, the investors make money, and that's the formula for you to raise more money and build the organization to the next level. Talking of culture, Ramki, invariably organizations notice that it's, it's there's a challenge to uh, sustain the culture that is really there, and over a period of time, there are shifts, there are changes as new people. enter the organization as old timers leave uh, there's always a shift in the the kind of people that are there which which actually drives the culture what's your take on sustaining an organizational culture how do you think that can be done for example how if an organization is operating at a very high level of trust when there is a diverse set of people that are in the organization how does that play out yeah i actually that's uh, that's probably a very very tough uh, issue, tough question and uh, probably a very tough thing for the promoter to handle also it is i think fundamentally it's very important to actually maintain the culture the core culture of the organization the core culture i mean how do you define the core culture of this organization right and uh, probably like you know let's say that i'm looking at a software services company when you talk about the core culture do we do we call it a sales oriented organization or do you want to call it as a customer centric organization i'm not saying this these are kind of disjoint or different things but sometimes the core is what is important as much as this as you try and bring in people i mean we briefly spoke about how do you ensure that they uh, people with different kind of backgrounds come in and uh, actually like acclimatize or get adjusted to this core uh, organizational culture uh, you want to, when you bring in a person obviously you're bringing in for a specific set of skill sets specific sets of his network his contacts so on so forth but don't forget he is also bringing in his culture i mean whatever you call it uh, in terms of his past experience etc i think it is important to normalize this vis-a-vis the organizational culture right we have seen in certain cases uh, wherein we probably i mean uh, I, uh, we have brought in few hard hitting american sales people in certain cases uh, and uh, invariably most of them talk big numbers and uh, as indians uh, what we were more focused on is saying that uh, what's the timeline what's the deliverable and what are my what's the cost benefit analysis and uh, these people actually like you know tend to keep saying that listen these are too small numbers let me try very large these and uh, how long do you kind of keep waiting for that so i think by the time you actually like you know see any business you probably would have lost a lot of money in terms of investments so. and maybe there is no result uh, so to speak i think uh, when do you take such a call on such a person i mean uh, do you take it after first quarter second quarter third quarter i think this should be the plan when you actually hire if you remember i actually spoke about the whole 
expectations part of it so when we hire a person i think we got to have the expectations right on both the sides and you need to create a plan and this will also indirectly talk about how long i will wait and how long will i actually give him time to get used to my organization the second issue is uh, yes i bring in one person i mean but how does he kind of like you know gel with the rest of the team members i think uh, that's where the management needs to play a big role as much as empowering a person we also need to actually set the rules in terms of uh, what are the reporting hierarchies what are the uh, deliverables and uh, let's say that you have a junior delivering but his senior is not delivering how do you handle this uh, it goes back to the whole thing about having an open discussion planning it well getting the expectations right when you get the expectations right i think um, a lot of these things will be sorted out so ramke as organizations develop and grow when we have new leaders who come in uh, there is definitely uh, there is a very high probability that with the leaders they bring in their troops as well they get into uh, they get in people with whom they are comfortable with this kind of plays uh, on the culture of the organization you will notice that there are transformations that happen in the way the organization is functioning how do you deal with situations like this and as an investor how do you manage this now this is a very good point you brought up harini actually we have uh, noticed in certain larger companies particularly you bring in a senior person he tends to actually bring back his old team members uh, with whom he is comfortable with and particularly i have seen in a lot of these western companies uh, this is pretty common in a manner of speaking uh, you bring in a senior person and uh, he brings in his own team in and i mean as a growth investor we usually like you know invest in mid sized companies and uh, i uh, i would see that with a lot of caution number one it is adding to the cost and number two it will definitely have an impact on the existing organizational setup i mean you may have the next set of people who may get anxious with this or uh, there could be friction and that is not good for the organization so when we when we usually hire uh, a cxo level person i think uh, a lot of time is spent in terms of explaining to them the existing organizational structure and i for one always insist on understanding their perspectives in terms of what do they think about that organization structure and where do they think is a gap if any and how do they want to deal with such a gap and for any reason if the person is kind of uh, dismissing the whole existing organization and says that listen this is not the team i'm going to work with i got to bring in half a dozen of my own people i think that's a that's a point uh, of caution for me definitely i think at least for mid mid to mid sized companies that's not the best strategy to deal with anything drastic uh, can actually have uh, a very negative impact because tomorrow my worry is uh, for whatever reason if the senior gentleman doesn't gel with the organization if he leaves he would take away his uh, own set of whole team man and that's going to be very very bad for the organization so i think it is uh, it is all about actually first having this discussion identifying the gaps if any and uh, having an 
understanding how to fill the gap and doing this very gradually i would not recommend actually doing a dramatic team change in that sense this is for uh, but there are exceptions i mean if you look at some service organizations like your uh, consulting firms like big, big four etc you have seen the whole teams moving around it's almost like you know m&a in that sense you are actually acquiring a business which is very different from hiring a senior person in your organization and he trying to bring in his own team members in command to the existing organization so i think you got to see this from a different perspective than a consulting firm but yes uh, i would uh, i would be very very cautious and uh, i would rather discuss this upfront and have a plan in place ramki thank you so much this is indeed a completely different uh, episode because this was about somebody outside willing to put in the money into a company and uh, it's really very refreshing to see that you also look now more for culture uh, openness trust and transparency and that i think gives a lot of confidence to leaders that they can be commercially viable and successful in the new era with a, a different set of practices which align with semco style values wonderful Uh, to have you and hope to have thank you, you very much soon. thanks thank you ramesh thank you harini thanks a lot thank it was really good it was also like very refreshing to actually have this discussion with you and i really enjoyed it thanks a lot thank you so much for listening in and we shall see you on the next episode